Hey, this is Diedrich Bader uh, from Phoenix, Oregon, and you are listening to Inside Your Head. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for me. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil. And I'm joined by James Legro, the lead of Phoenix, Oregon, which uh, we got a festival coming up April 11th, the inaugural film festival Alliance. It's uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's uh, very cool to have you here. Well, it's great to be here, Neil. I'm so happy that we were able to do this kind of virtual uh, uh, interface, and I'm excited to talk about the film, which I'm, I uh, I really love, and uh, I'm happy it's finding a, a bit of an audience. Mm-hmm. I really liked it too. It's the kind of movie I like. Uh, a lot of um, uh, veteran actors, and it's uh, really well performed. It's a nice story. Uh, it's a relatable story. Yeah. So I, I guess, really, off the like, uh, for people not aware yet, like, could you give them like an idea of what Phoenix, Oregon, is about? Well, you know, it's about uh, a little town, perhaps somewhat off the beaten path. Uh, a story about working people trying to get ahead. And, uh, and then I, I, it centers around two, two friends, uh, the other uh, actor who's so good in the film, Jesse Borrego. He's such a gem of an actor and was so great to work with. I, I feel really lucky that I got to get to know him a little bit. Uh, and they try to start a small business. And uh, what happens is they, they look for other financial backers to go into this business. And then probably through some mistakes of judgment, uh, the business goes bad, partially because of uh, transgressions on behalf of some of the people involved in business, and uh, and then where that leads. And then everybody kind of has their own sort of personal story, and I guess uh, my character's uh, personal story is a little bit more revealed. You know, he's mourning the loss of a parent and, uh, and, uh, failed relationship and, uh, getting to a point in the middle of his life where, you know, he's really trying to figure it all out, mm-hmm. which I don't know that anybody ever really does, but you know, it's, it's a really, uh, it's a, it's a, I can't make a movie for, for the working people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, story about the little guy trying to get ahead. Mm-hmm. What I, I really liked about your performances, Bobby. Yeah, I agree. What I really liked oh, about your performances, Bobby, is I like that. Um, I think in a lot of movies that could be like a caricature and played like straight for comedy, which that's fine, but not. It's not really what this movie's about. Like you really portray him as a character with you know lots of layers. He isn't just a one note oh, you know, comedy guy. I, I really appreciate that, and I you know I think I have to also thank my fellow cast members. You know who really were remarkable to work with. And, it, you know, it was one of these situations where I was uh, uh, lucky enough to enlist the help of a lot of old friends, um, which is a great thing about this this line of work is frequently you can work with your friends. And, uh, uh, you know, Lisa Edelstein, we've worked together many times over the years. Uh, and I always learn something when I work with her. Uh, you know, Kevin Corrigan, uh, Dietrich Bader, uh, who's been an old friend of mine. But funny enough, we never worked together before. Um, you know, and on through the cast, you know, it's just really 
fantastic people. And the other thing that was great is that uh, I got to work with uh, the filmmakers again, which was wonderful. Anne and uh, Gary, um, Gary, the director, and Anne, our producer, with a whole other team of producers. But we had worked on a film some years ago together. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just really liked them. And, I, and so it was a lot of that crew a lot of the same people and uh you know i have to say you know i don't know that in my long and rocky road uh of a career that i've ever worked with people that i was ever fonder of i mean they're just, just really decent smart creative hard-working people and uh, you know i got it was just a great situation yeah i think that comes through you know, in the movie because it's go oh, ahead. sorry I was just say it comes through in no, the movie saying, uh, saying, that that everyone's like there's a chemistry there, and it seems like everyone knows each other uh, within the movie. You know, the, the yeah, the well, it's not not only that. You know, the the guy who is our you know our who is the head of our sound department. You know, I had worked with before. You know, and just you know his attention to detail and 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 all of the you know when when you do a picture at this price point. Uh, you know, you really have to be all in, and um, and it, it, it's just the hours are so long, and the conditions are tough, and you don't have a lot of resources, and uh, so you really have to uh, lower your shoulder and do a lot of heavy lifting, and and you're in the it's in the trenches, so to speak, and so you know, when I think of some of the people that were, you know, I think it, you know, I think it can't, and I think of Claudia who did costume. And yeah, it's just such a great group of people uh, that you'd really want to be in the trenches with. Certainly, and Patrick, our cinematographer. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you get involved? Anyway, Obviously, you, yeah, I mean, you knew Gary, you worked with him before. So, like, how, how did you get involved? Did he, like, say you were right for this role? And how did it come about? Um, you know, uh, it, it was basically, I, th- I think, I can't remember if Gary reached out personally or if it came to my agent, but I, I think it may have came, or my manager, but somehow they contacted my representatives, I think. And I was trying to decide between this and another picture at the time. And, you know, I just thought, you know what, I like Gary and Ann. I know Gary and Ann. Uh, uh, you know, who know all these things that this, these little movies are always a bit of a gamble. But I thought, I think I'm just going to go with the people I know I love. And uh, and we'll see where this takes us. Mm-hmm. You know, so and then you never... Climate Falls. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just... I'm sure. I think there's just a, a little bit of a, like a half a second delay. So sometimes one of us talks over each other. I'm sorry if that happens, but um, uh, so, so you, you, you know, this is the thing about technology. It's flawed. Right. So uh, Je- Jesse Borrego, you mentioned you, you had not worked with him before, but did you know him at all before? Only well, I, I only knew his work, which I had admired, uh, but I mm. didn't know him, you know, personally and we you know we're of a similar age and came up at a similar time uh you know but i you know uh, you know he's i knew him from like some tv shows that i'd seen him on and uh you know and he's one of these guys that you know he can do it all you know he's an actor he's a writer he's a you know he's a dancer choreographer musician I and mean, he's like practically barbara streisand you know what i mean I mean, he's like one of these guys that's just got all these talents and 
you know, so I feel really lucky that, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, working with him made my acting better. So I'm very grateful mm-hmm. for that. Uh, when I had Diedrich Bader on uh, last week, he had mentioned that, uh, he didn't say something negatively, but Jesse has a different style of acting where he's like a little more loose. Um, d- yeah. Did, yeah, did you, yeah. did you Jesse's notice a little that? Bit more in his lane. Yeah. yeah. But I, so this is the thing, you know, I've had a really lucky career and I've worked with so many phenomenal actors. I mean, it's really kind of blows me away sometimes. And what I have learned over the years is that, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to mine for gold and all these different actors get the gold somehow. They all have their different methodologies and processes, but it, the result is the gold that they deliver. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I just try to adapt to whoever I'm working with. It's kind of been my, my, what I've found works best for me. Uh, I just let the material and then the people I'm working with dictate my process. I just try to adapt to whatever they're doing as best I can. When you first started out acting, who were some of the people that like you worked with that were kind of influenced you? Ah, wow. Well, I started out in the theater and, you know, so there were some theater actors at South coast repertory theater that really influenced me. John David Keller and Ron Balsam and, uh, um, Howard Shangra and, uh, you know, these are not famous people, but, but, uh, I really looked up to them and they, you know, I, Jeff Coombs, I think was, uh, at South coast rep for a little bit, a few others. Um, John Ashton was there for, for a minute. Uh, and I, I, uh, it just made it seem real. Like, Oh, you could do like, this is, you, you can do this. You know, this is a thing a person can actually do. I mean, my sort of antecedents, my background, you know, we don't, I don't know, you know, I don't have family in showbiz or really know anybody that was very successful at it. I mean, a couple of like peripheral relationships with people I knew, but that was just so remote as to not be real. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started out in the theater professionally in 19, I think it was 82, uh, it just made it seem real. That, that it's a thing a person could do. So I was influenced in that way. And then actors that I looked up to, you know, going to the movies, you know, actors like John Savage and John Cazale and, you know, all the, all the, the big actors too, uh, of the time, uh, certainly, you know, De Niro, Pacino, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of what influenced me in the beginning. Uh, was it, is it hard to, to, uh, go from like theater acting to, um, to film acting or, you know, TV acting? No, I don't think it is. Uh, I think it's just, you have to adapt to the circumstances, you know, it's a little, it's all running, you know, I think, uh, with film acting, uh, you have to learn how to work with technology, Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, and the camera's a little less forgiving, I guess. So you really have to, it, it's okay. I would say it's like this. So like working in the theater, you know, it's like doing the 5,000 meter steeplechase. You know what I mean? There's going to be a lot of adjustments. It's a long run. Uh, uh, but in film acting, it's, a, it's also running, but it's like the 110 meter high hurdles. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have to explode and be, 
you know, you have to work with the circumstances very precisely, you know, because in a movie, you know, if they can't hear it, they don't see it. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and as you sort of hone your, your craft, you really learn to work effectively with the technology. You learn about lenses and angles and, you know, how to, uh, how to, you know, just like subtle things about like what you do with props so that it works well with the sound and the microphone, you know, it's all, it's very, it sounds kind of like ridiculous. And some actors, fine actors, I know never pay attention to any of that, but some other very fine actors I know have a great, uh, expanded consciousness mm-hmm. and they're able to take it all in. Uh, and what's great about that is sometimes with that kind of expanded consciousness, you make all your takes usable, uh, which is a great help to the editor because mm-hmm. they just have more options. Than, you know. uh, but it's a, a thing you learn over time, or at least it's a thing I learned over time. Yeah. Do you think, uh, you mentioned editor. Do you think that's something that's uh, overlooked sometimes? Cause that's someone who really shapes, you know, oh, the finished project. Oh, without a doubt. You know, and that's the other great thing about working with somebody like Gary, who has such a long background in editing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a truly uh, critical component. In fact, I've, I've been on a number of films where it's the film is literal or performance has been literally created to be compelling in the edit. And, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, it's, I would say to your to your question, yeah, it's it's very overlooked and obviously incredibly critical to anybody that makes movies or TV shows. Yeah, and you mentioned about like the technology, and uh, is that something you have to keep up with then? Because you know you've been around uh, throughout like all different changes in technology, and and even just how movies and TVs you know put out there. Well, I like to keep up with it just because I think, you know, the more I understand, the better teammate I can be. Um, so I, I do keep up with it. And I, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the way the movies get made fundamentally hasn't really changed since the advent of sound. You know, it's shot, it's marked, you know, it's, you know, it's arranging things within a frame, you know, all that is basically the same, but the workflow has changed radically. The equipment is lighter, faster. Uh, uh, just the process of like, when I started out, you know, everything was in camera. There was no CGI. So all effects either had to be created on a stage with some kind of models or the negative had to be painted or, or it had to be, you know, there was no computer generation at that time. Everything was in camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then certainly, like, when you would go, like, I remember going back in the, in the early 80s, mid-80s, you know, doing my episode of The Night Rider and having to, you know, do uh, looping. They used to call it looping, and now they call it ADR for, for yeah. fixes on dialogue. You know, there was somebody on a flatbed. It was film being projected off of a work print. Uh, you know, the process was much slower. Uh, now, you know, you back in the day when you had these radio mics, the battery pack was huge. The the mic quality was very tinny. All this stuff has gotten so much better. I would say the sound department makes some. You know, everybody talks about the digital revolution in in the visual end, but I would say the sound department has taken, has gone leaps and bounds from what it was once. Yeah. Uh, and then certainly how it's edited uh, has also radically changed. Things that would take months now can, you can do in days and hours. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, talk about the change in uh, technology and stuff. And so for, um, for the, for your newest film, Phoenix, Oregon, uh, part yeah. of that's technology. Part of it's also, uh, just, you know, what's going on right now. Yeah. You can get it at home through, um, I forget the, what term they actually use, uh, theater at home. And it's also going to be part yeah. of, uh, a virtual film festival, which, which is interesting to me. Well, time couldn't have been better. Oh exactly. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I just kind of like thinking about, I was talking to one of my sons about this, uh, this morning about, uh, if I could, if any of us could have gone to Vegas to get some bookie to take a bet <laughs> on our movie opening number one on this, <laughs> right. winning the box office for Friday. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the odds would have been very, very high. <laughs> uh-huh. That would have been a good return. Um, <laughs> but, you know, nonetheless, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's all, that's all changed as well. You know, I don't think the people, the phenomena of people going to a movie theater is, is dead. In fact, I think when we finally get through this, people will go back to cinemas mm-hmm. uh, and there might even be a little bit of a bump because, you know, if you haven't been able to get that Krispy Kreme donut, you know, you, mm-hmm. you tend to crave it. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. But I think that, uh, for movies of this scope and at this price point, doing a simultaneous release because you know, you're not going to be in a lot of theaters probably mm-hmm. on, with a movie like this makes a lot of sense. And I, and, and the fact that they would split the box office with, uh, with the theater uh, operators, I think is a very, I think it's just a smart, all the, you know, one hand mm-hmm. washes the other. People are yeah, yeah. To, you know, build off of each other's efforts in, in a, in a arrangement like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely something I miss. Uh, probably the main thing I miss right now is going to go to the movies. So it's something I would do, you know, at least once a week. So yeah, once that's yeah. able, it's definitely something. That. Yeah. Now, you know, this is a virtual film festival. Had you ever, uh, gone to fil- regular film festivals, physical f- festivals? I guess, uh, I've, like I've gone to many film festivals over the years, but <laughs> I haven't, I don't think I've ever had a, film participate in the virtual ones. So no, I don't even know how the logistics involved in all that, but I I find it all fascinating. Yeah. About film festivals, what do you think the benefits are of having your, your film in a festival and also attending a film festival? Oh, I think that, well, I think, uh, well, the obvious benefit is getting your work out before an audience. I mean, anytime you can get your work in front of an audience, you, you are, you uh, making a success of your endeavors. Uh, that's the point. Um, so there's that obvious effect. And then, you know, uh, for little movies, you have the benefit of if people like it, there's good word of mouth. And I think that, you know, that can sometimes be attractive to distributors in which you're trying to, to sell the movie. You know, I tell filmmakers that I work with, you know, when you wrap the principal photography, but everybody's very happy about wrapping it. Oh, it's, isn't that great? And I'm like, Hey man, we're just at the top of the mountain. You know, this this isn't a success until we're down the mountain, on the helicopter, back to Kathmandu, and on our flight back to the USA. <laughs> that means, uh-huh. you know what I mean? That's a success. Uh-huh. Um, you got to get off the mountain. You got to get back to the airport. You got to get home. And home is getting the movie in front of a paying audience. 
And uh, that's the goal, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's hard to do. So I think the benefit, you know, uh, film festivals are a very important link in that chain, particularly for movies like Phoenix, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, last year I made my first uh, short film and it, it was playing festivals. And, oh, congratulations. Uh, it, thank oh, you. That's I appreciate great. That. And uh, two weeks ago, it was supposed to Yeah. And how it came about was I went to film festivals as um, as press and then I would meet people and they liked me and then they Mm -hmm. want to make something. So we made something uh, made this short and it's been playing festivals. And then from there, I just made my first feature film, which I had no idea how it's what's going to happen with it at the moment. But but two weeks ago, it was supposed to play at Buff Boston Underground Film Festival. uh, But unfortunately, it was canceled. Yeah. Really, uh, well, like or, a lot of postponed, friends, I guess. A lot of friends, filmmakers that were supposed to be at South by Southwest or tried that right. this one or that one, or, you know. And unfortunately, we're we are learning lessons in powerlessness mm-hmm. and uh, having to recalibrate our priorities. So, yeah, uh, you're in a you're in a big boat with a lot right. of other people. Yeah, but you know what? This too shall pass, and and your film will get out and find its audience. Um, it's just, we got to wait it out for now. Right. Yeah. But this is a, but that's, but look at you. So you did this, you went out, you interfaced with other human beings, human to human, made these right. contacts and it took you into probably directions you probably hadn't anticipated. And that, that's another great thing about attending a film festival, mm-hmm. the human interaction with other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's, uh, you know, made friends, obviously that's really great too, but you know, and then actually, uh, you know, made stuff together and yeah, this last year for me, it's, uh, stuff I, I never, I always wanted to do, but I never, you know, expected it to happen. But, uh, yeah, it was all honestly through the, the film festivals. Yeah. Well, see, that's another important conduit, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, you know, artistic minded people to cross paths. You know, because, look, you're way the heck out where you are in Massachusetts, and I'm way the heck out where I am in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. And, uh-huh. you know, it's, uh, you're not going to maybe engage with as many filmmakers, uh, you know, given the right. location restrictions of the place that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get it out there. I mean, yeah. for me, it's a little bit different, you know, because most of my work, uh, although I still audition for things and, and sometimes get those jobs, uh, most of the time when I work, it's because somebody's called me up and asked me if I want to participate in whatever thing that they're doing. That's usually, and either it's somebody that's seen me in something that they thought I would be appropriate or some return customer. Um, you know, but that's when that happens, kind of looks like, yes, when that happens, when that happens, what, what is it about? either the project or the role that would make you be interested in it. In it. Like, what do you look for well, in the project? Well, the first thing I look for is just to see if I think I can be helpful. You know, if I don't think I can be helpful, then I, I, I always pass. But, um, but if I think I can be helpful, then, you know, you kind of look at, you know, it's kind of like any job, you know, what are you doing? Who are you doing it with? And where are you doing it? Um, and uh, I guess that's the sort of the mitigating factors. Uh, you know, first, do I think it can be helpful? And then, you know, who is it? What is it? And where is it? 
And I, outside of that, it's all kind of up for grabs, you know. <laughs> I don't really have a a criteria other than you know I just try and trust that little voice inside my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much are how much of like um how how similar are you to the Bobby character in in Phoenix, Oregon? Oh boy, I don't know. yeah, I'm not very. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I'm ever very similar good. to any of these characters I play yeah. over the years. Uh, but I empathize with his story. You know, I, I do empathize with his story. Yeah, I mean, Bobby's a little more passive than I, I would describe myself. And, you know, sort of idiosyncrasies. But, you know, I tried to do... What I mostly tried to do was just do what I thought uh, Gary wanted me to do. And... Uh, work off of like whatever present circumstances. I really, for this part, I really just tried to stay as open and as stripped down as possible. I didn't, I didn't want to have any acting in it or, you know, as much as, you know, I mean, I understand it was a, the tone was comic and, you know, it's, you know, and because of that, you're, it's always a sort of implied relationship to the audience because there's a timing factor in, in doing comedy, but I really tried not to do any acting as best as I could. I tried to keep it pretty stripped down. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, sometimes, well, I'll, okay, like many years ago, I did a mini series for HBO, Mildred Pierce. And uh, we were doing a, a period piece based on a, a book. And in the book, the character that I was playing is a very vividly drawn character uh you know which required me to put on an enormous amount of weight i mean i put on like 75 pounds and you know and i felt like he needed to have so then he had to sort of do the patois of the period dialect and you know i and i you know i thought he should have an accent a somewhat regional accent from you know so it just depends so that's a sort of more extreme version of like you have to do a lot of things that are not uh, germane to to uh, your sort of more recognizable speech patterns and physical uh, attributes, um, you know. And so, and then, so there's that's on the extreme end, and everything is somewhat of a variation. You know, I, I did a long character turn on a show. Um, let's see, Justified. You know, so I had to do this accent from Harlan County. You know, and I've done a lot of different accents over the. You know, so it's, I guess that's the difference. You know. Uh, uh, I, you know, and I, I have an accent too, which I, I, uh, when I do interviews or, or usually most of my acting work, I, I, I choose not to do. Um, uh-huh. so, uh, so I guess that would be different for myself. Yeah. A justified really great series, by the way. And, um, how has like the rise yeah, love, of, of, love of series? Them. Yeah. And such amazing cast and everything. Uh, to me, I think like the last twenty years has been like a golden age of uh, TV series. Like, so the rise oh, of TV I series totally and like platform. Yeah, how has that affected you as an actor? You know, all these because uh, there's like so many great roles on them. Uh, well, I guess how it's. You know what? I, I don't. Mm, let's see. Well, it's affected me more as a viewer than as an actor. You know, I mean, right. as an actor, hey, there's yeah. been this work. Um, as an actor, you know, it's just jobs and you do the acting uh for the jobs that hasn't changed so much um and of course when i started out 
they used to make a lot more movies, uh, but they don't make as many movies now. Um, and they make a lot of the same uh, style of movie now. And there, there isn't, so you are either in, you know, some $120 million um, uh, movie that's based on a, a comic book graphic novel uh, uh, story style, or you're in Phoenix, Oregon. <laughs> and I mean, there's, the neighborhood is kind of, you know, the, there's really not much in between. There's a little bit, but not much. Um, and, uh, and not as many. Uh, so the work shifted uh, into this other form. And, you know, I think our habits as viewers have changed. And I think that that predicated a lot of this movement towards this other medium. Uh, yeah, whole thing of binge you know, watching. With all these, you know, came all these yes. platforms, you know, with uh-huh. HBO Go and uh, Amazon Prime and Netflix and... Now all you know, Disney and all these other more traditional outlets are offering their own platforms. It's just you know, YouTube, etc. It's just radically changed the viewing landscape. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting how high these numbers are now for these shows because it's such a captive audience. And I was talking to a friend of mine who works at a studio um, yesterday, and uh, you know, clearly this is a business that won't be dying out soon. <laughs> you know, they're going to be, there's going to be a great need. You know, I mean, initially there's going to be a bottleneck because there's all these shows that have stopped in the middle of production. I mean, I'm on a show now that stopped in the middle. In fact, I was on my way to work and told to go. Oh, home. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Literally. Yeah. Um, so there'll be a bottleneck, but then there'll be another wave where they'll have to be playing some catch up in terms of demand. So right. it's a good time to be making yeah. TV shows. Of course, you know, with this gap in revenue for a lot of places, people who are in a poor cash position, there's going to be a lot of little companies that are going to die and we're never going to be heard from again. And I noticed, you know, a number of when Broadway had to unfortunately close its doors, there's a lot of those productions that have that won't come back once the lights get turned back on. So there's, there's going to be a lot of casualties, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of theaters that like I'd go to a lot in Boston that show, you know, a lot of independent stuff and also show a lot of old, you know, movies in 35 millimeter and uh, both of those oh, are closed. Wow. You know, they're asking for donations, you know, so they can reopen sometime. It's uh, it's really uh, sad to right. see. Yeah, it's uncertain times for all of that, you know, and I'm hoping, mm-hmm. you know, at least with my set of circumstances, I think it's going to be in terms of people going back to work and in, in, in the business that I'm in, it'll be somewhat contingent on uh, where the job is shooting. You know, mm-hmm. so like say if you're on a job in somewhere in New Mexico, where my understanding at this point, anyway, the outbreak level has been on the lower side compared to other places in the United States. Yeah. People shooting there might go back a little bit sooner than perhaps say people, if there was a, let's say there was a, which there's not, but let's say there was a huge outbreak in North Dakota, which there's not, but mm-hmm. it would be some time probably be, they would wait till that settles down. I would imagine before they feel comfortable sending people back to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. You know, 
job shooting in Italy, it's probably going to be a few months out before people go yeah. back to work there. And, and certainly New York, you know? Yeah. And then, and then how people go back to work. I mean, I guess that there's a greater ubiquity of tests. Certain people are going to probably have to be tested to make sure they're okay and safe to work with their colleagues. You know, I mean, I work mm-hmm. hand to hand, you know, with the people in the costume department, it's a hands-on work situation you know, where people are adjusting their costume, you know, you have, you have hands-on people, people in the hair and makeup department, you have hands-on people. So all that's going to have to get figured out. Um, and you're always working in close quarters on a movie set or a mm-hmm. TV set, you know? So that's going to mm-hmm. have to get figured out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you mentioned, we mentioned the shows and, uh, you said you it, it, it had uh, as a viewer. So, what are some of the TV series that you like just to watch? Oh well, my two most favorite lately uh, have been Unorthodox and Babylon Berlin. Mm, I've not actually uh, seen either of those. Oh wow! I'm gonna write them down. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, unorthodox. They're both on Netflix. Um, okay. Man, uh, the actors on both of those shows. Unorthodox uh, takes place uh, in the United States and then in in Germany, um, and it's in uh, uh, Yiddish slash Hebrew, uh, English, and German. But it's very easy to follow. Babylon Berlin, uh, they're now into their third season. The first season was combined, uh, and that is German language production. Uh, okay. So you, you, you have to sort of pay attention. But just because sure. of how the, uh, uh, certain plot deals are on, it, uh, you have, that's a, it's well worth it, but you have to pay attention on that show. Um, so it might alter some viewing habits. You know, I've, I, listen, I'm a big fan of Ozark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then there's been a ton of documentary stuff that I've enjoyed. Uh, uh, there, I, I watched one not so long ago, maybe last year, Wild Wild Country, about the Roshnish uh, phenomena of, of Oregon mm-hmm. back, in, back in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. but there's just a ton of great, uh, programming. I mean, it, it actually, it's almost impossible to keep up and I, I, I read is, a lot of books, yeah. so, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, it's always, I'm always behind, honestly, everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I should be more uh, literate in terms of like what's current, but, um, yeah, but with the, with the with uh, the I actually same way I, I watch a lot of stuff later after it was already on like Mad Men and stuff. But um, with the binge watching, oh, it makes it possible. Oh yeah, it was awesome. Yes, it does make it possible. And some shows are bingier than others. Mm-hmm. Um, now the show I was talking about, Unorthodox. Uh, that's only four episodes, but I, it, the show was just so emotionally powerful and pushed all my buttons. I had to like take a few days off in between episodes. I was just like, wow. Okay. Oh my God. Uh Okay. And another show that I was, uh, that I enjoyed very much. And for maybe you saw this show too, black mirror. Yeah. I like black. Mirror. That was another show. Yeah. And what I tell people with that show is yeah, really to sort of like 
to get indoctrinated to the show properly, just watch the first. The only thing you have to do is just watch the very first episode. <laughs> first, right. Then you can watch uh-huh. them out of order. Watch sure. that first one. That will set the template and the tone. Right. Right. You know, if you can take handle the show, (laughs) incredible thing they're going to propose. They're not backing Uh off of it. They're going to, you know, they're going to go through with it. The horrible Uh thing they talk about. Yeah. They're actually going to do it. And so Uh you have, but that was another show where like, it was so intense. Some of those episodes, I would have to take Mm -hmm. like a week off or two before (laughs) I could watch another one. Yeah. Uh, but other shows, you know, like Ozark, you could kind of run through them because it's a sort of a pot boiler and you really, it's very plot generated. Babylon Berlin, I felt like that. Although the last season of it, I, because I love it, I love the show so much, I spaced them out because I was trying to savor it. You know what I mean? Like a candy bar I didn't want to finish. Yeah. Um, I but, do that uh, a lot, yeah, especially when you, shows, the, really when you get to the end. end. Yeah, it's bittersweet when you get to the end because, like, you got to keep watching it. Then it's like, oh no, I only have a few episodes left. I don't want it to. I don't want to, you know, not yeah. have any more to watch. It's a really weird experience. Totally, totally. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna say, I, so I got like have to space them out. Like, okay, <laughs> you know, I only got a few. I only got a few cigarettes left. I gotta, I gotta space them out. This is a long ride. Yeah. Uh huh. But in the middle, I find myself sometimes I would be up way later than I expected to be because he's just like, oh, I'll watch one more. I'll watch one more. And he just keep watching and watching. Nice. But uh, I, yeah, I, I read a lot of books, too, but I do the audio books because I, I walk a lot. And uh, I, I, I started do too. I, I read a lot. I read a lot. And I do listen, I listen to a lot of uh, audio books. Uh, I do that. Yeah, too. I, I like kind of a game changer. Yeah, I agree. You know, I got started yeah. on that. I got started on that probably 20 years ago. Uh, I was uh, I was living in L.A. at the time uh, in Los Feliz, and I was doing this TV show for a couple of years that shot down in Manhattan Beach uh, at these stages down there. And there's no good way to get there, right? There's just no good way. The only good way to get there is if you're leaving at like 6 o'clock in the morning and you're beating all the traffic. Otherwise, it's a nightmare. And I books, I, and then it was like, I was listening to books on tape or books on CD. Right. And, you know, cause it made the commute like bearable. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it was great. And so that kind of got me going, you know, and I've always been a, a reader of, of, of actual books, but that, uh, that's been a nice, uh, with the proliferation of that, uh, mm-hmm. since I'm a big, uh, hiker and, and, uh, you know, I'm always out, you know, going on long runs or long hikes. Uh, I do that all the time. I'm so grateful to, uh, audio books. Mm-hmm. That's a good I thing about recommend, yeah, recommend, no, I just recommend one that oh, recommend probably listen to already. Mm-hmm. Well, I would recommend them generally, but I would also recommend, I, I, this is the first one that I, I think I, I I can't remember if I've listened to any of his books. I think I've mostly read his books. But that writer, Malcolm Gladwell, did recently a book called Talking to, Talking to Strangers. Yeah, Talking to Strangers. And um, it's largely interviews that he does. And so the audio book, I mean, you can read the book, but the audio book is so enhanced by actually hearing the interview that it, it's, it's a transformative experience. Um, so I would recommend that book. And I guess what, what keyed me in that that was always a possibility 
is I was on a long drive and I listened to Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. And I had been reading the book, uh, but then I was like, oh, I'll get these, these, DVD, these CDs and I'll listen to it. Well, it was so much better listening to him read the book because you had his great voice, you know, this Irish voice. And then he would, when the father's dialogue would come in, he would do his North Irish accent, you know, which of course you're not getting the book. And then when the songs that are italicized in the book about, you know, Cahunan and all these Irish, you know, mythic figures, he would sing the song. You know, so it was such a great enhancement. I was like, oh, wow, this can really be good. Now, granted, if it's yeah. not a good reader, the book is a bit of a disaster. But <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah. But that's, I oh. find that rare. I find most of the it, people yeah, that they get to read these audiobooks are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I always say that on the show, and it's like almost like it goes without saying. But like uh, like I said, if someone, if they're not uh, interesting to listen to, it can really take away. But but primarily, they usually are. There is a website I use once in a while where, because it's uh, all for, like free domain stuff, so it'd be like really old books. Like I listen to um, yeah, uh, um, Frankenstein off of it, and uh, so it'll be like oh, people yeah. who record themselves, and they're really hit and miss depending, you know, who would upload it. Yeah, well, you know, I can. I guess it's probably a little bit. You do get what you pay for. So, right, and um, it's, it is a free. You know, for all your listeners out there, a great gift idea is a is a subscription to Audible. I agree. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have it on my phone. I, yeah. I think I support them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting anything from them, but yeah, I, I listen to Audible all the time. I wish you were. I wish we both were. But you know, it's good. Yeah, so, you know, and I used yeah. to I used to download from Apple too, as well. Mm-hmm. You know, over the years, depending. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. somewhat shifted. Yeah, the last one I started to, but uh, I had to change it. I had to stop listening to it because I was like, I've never listened to the, I never read The Stand by Stephen King. I always want to read it. And it's like a runtime of 48 hours. So I was like, this is a perfect time. And so I started listening to while I walk oh, yeah. around here. And it's all about, you know, this disease taking out mankind. And I'm like, I don't think this is a good oh, my read. God. The, at, at the moment, yeah. I'll, I'll put that up for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i uh yeah maybe not so much yeah maybe yeah. not people so thought i listened to it for that reason because you know, i put it on facebook and it was just coincidence and then i was like oh i see why they're saying this yeah this isn't this isn't yeah this time, i but. read an it- i read an interesting interview yesterday with lawrence wright uh writer journalist and i guess he wrote a piece of fiction that has a sort of a plague narrative. There's a good interview with him in the New Yorker. I would suggest to people. Yeah. Uh, he's a writer I've liked for mm-hmm. a long time. Uh, well, what are you guy. doing currently? Like, uh, just to stay, you know, not, not necessarily acting or anything, but what are you oh, just doing? Well, you know? you know, I live in the mountains in Western Wyoming. Uh, uh, my, most of my family has, come back to stay with me here while we ride this out. You know, so I kind of go, yeah, a lot of what I do is not all that much different than I would be doing anyway. You know, I, I hike in the back country, I ski in the back country, you know, uh, it's a little bit more limited, you know, because restaurants, most of them are shut mm-hmm. down. There's only food for takeout, but uh, and it, you know, if you want to go to the local gym, they've closed that. 
but, you know, people kind of get out and they're going fishing on the Snake River and uh, they're hiking up in the mountains. Uh, you know, because I live in a small town, there was a little bit of a, you know, in the very beginning of all this, people kind of acted sort of silly and bought all the toilet paper and bleach and whatever. But that's all gone away. You know, you can get anything here. Anything. And I mean anything. Um, in fact, because of the, I lived in a small town, you know, when we went to the grocery store the other day, they were handing out bottles of free hand sanitizer to everybody. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So it's just, a, it's, it's different, you know, whatever. It's different here. Uh, not to say that we don't have people getting sick and that you don't have to be, you know, careful with your hand washing and hand sanitizing and probably should wear a mask in public and all of the protocols that are out there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still relatively low compared to other places that it's faced just incredible challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky too to live in a small town. Yeah. I could still go for my walks every day and yeah, it's very similar. I think. Yeah. Not, probably not quite. As I mean, I'm in contact daily with friends in, uh, in New York. Uh, I'm in contact with, uh, a friend in Italy. I'm in contact with friends in Los Angeles. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm getting reports of how people are navigating all of this, but, uh, mm-hmm. You know, like the Queen said, you know, we are going to get through this. We mm-hmm. will see our friends. We will meet again. I don't know where, mm-hmm. don't know when, but I love the Queen. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot about her, but uh-huh. well, that's another good show I've been watching, The Crown. I've heard of Yeah, I've that's wondered. There's, there's so many shows out there. Yeah, like that's probably that not everybody's cup of tea, yeah. shall we say, uh-huh. but uh, I really enjoyed that, too. I mean, the first two seasons, the first season was quite good. And then the second season got even better. And then they do a cast change because they kind of do a little leap in time. But these actors are just so good. I'm just so blown away. I'm so humbled by the, the, the quality of the acting. And, and I would say, you know, the crown... The actors are phenomenal. The actors on Ozark, they're just amazing. These actors I saw in Babylon, Berlin, and in Unorthodox, I mean, I'm just like, I'm just humbled. I'm just like, oh my God, what is it like to be so freaking good? It's incredible. Um, so it's a really lucky time. I mean, there's really some amazing work being done. Yeah, I agree. And, and you mentioned both those words. Great Go ahead. Yeah, so Go ahead. You, you just said you mentioned both those were, were German uh, language. And I think uh, with like Netflix and I, I like horror movies. So Shudder shows a lot of, uh, of international oh, horror right. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's a really good time to get stuff that you probably wouldn't have ever seen otherwise. Because, you know, one would have seen a German totally. series, you know, probably wouldn't have ever played anywhere. Well, you know, but I think that the, you know, I think that the the upshot of all this exposure to work that you wouldn't normally engage with, like you were using the example of going to the film festival, I look at these actors in these shows and I just think, oh my God, this is so inspiring. You know, you really want to like bring your, your game up a level when you see these people work. You're like, oh my God, they're so good. Oh my yeah. God, I've got to really, I really need to work harder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. 
Uh-huh. Um, well, that's nice that you like to, that you're a fan of the horror genre. I have a very dear friend, Larry Fessenden. Who oh, I, yeah, Fessenden. I know him. Yeah, yeah I know. And he's, he's I very immersed in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we met doing a picture together in Iceland um, about a million years ago called The Last Winter, which I really think is a wonderful picture if anybody gets a chance to see it. And Larry's work as a director is phenomenal. In fact, we made another movie together, Larry and his son and I, and this was the second movie that uh, Larry and I acted in together. Larry produced the film and his son directed it. The, the, uh, the first one was Stray Bullets, wonderful little picture. And the other one that's coming out is called Foxhole, uh, which is also a really interesting uh, study on sort of war, uh, race, uh, you know, uh, sexual politics, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, anyway, you know, so it's, it's great that you're, I like that you like that genre. It's not my, I don't care for myself. I'm too, I'm too sensitive, but, um, but Larry, my dear friend is a great, uh, uh, creator in that, uh, in that genre. And then, you know, isn't yeah. it great that you get exposed to all these things? Is your, exactly. that you made? Is, is that of that? Uh, oh, that's great. That's the short great. film. The short film isn't, but uh, then we made a feature film, which is being edited right now. That That's a horror movie. Oh, that's terrific. That is but that, yeah. you know, I got to see Larry's funny, uh, latest talking. movie, Depraved, at uh, Buffalo Dreams Fantastic oh, Film Festival last that year. That was, so, yeah, it was so great. That movie, that movie uh, that uh, I love, first of all, I'm a huge fan of that movie. Love that movie. And I am a huge fan of that uh, of that um, actor. Um, oh God, his name just went out of my head. Uh, who's the lead? Who plays the Frankenstein character? Uh, uh, what is his name? Because I just worked with him. He's in Foxhole. Alex Brock. Yeah. Okay. He's in Foxhole. And actually, um, Josh Leonard, who's in the picture. Another great guy, great actor, such a smart guy. Uh, he and I worked on a movie together uh, called Bitter Feast, which I guess would be in the horror genre, that Joe Maggio directed that Larry uh, produced. And he also acts in the movie a little bit as well. Um, but I loved Depraved. Big fan. Yeah. I am too. Uh, I'm, I love Frankenstein. That's why I read the the book, and I love all the different uh, versions of the movies. And um, and you know, this is a modern take on it. Yeah, I loved it. I don't understand Larry's really. Uh, he loves Frankenstein as well. He does, but you know, and Larry and I have had a little. We've had some discussions over the years. I, I like the sort of the concept of of Mary Shelley's book, but I'm not a fan of the book. Honestly, <laughs> I don't think it's mm-hmm. that great. You know, first, you know, it's an epistolary novel and it kind of rambles and it kind of more than anything. When I read it, my takeaway is not sort of the Promethean aspect of it, which I guess was her sort of uh, inspiration through writing it. But it was more when I read that book, it to me is more of a study on racism, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's not just kind of a kind of decent guy, you know, and apparently a genius to figure out language by observing that with that family in the mountains, he's fine. You know, I, I, you know, so 
I, I view, I, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this study of Frankenstein through the lens of race. I think would be an interesting one. But the book is always, you know, when I read the book, because I'd heard about it for years, and then I finally read the thing, and I was like, eh. <laughs> you know, which, maybe it's a great book, uh-huh. and I'm just too dumb to realize that. I, I, I'll grant that there are other supposedly uh-huh. great books that I've read that I once I got to, you know, like I remember a few years back, you know. I read this writer who I'd read other books of his that I'd enjoyed. Um, Thomas Pynchon. I'd read Inherit Vice and The Crying of Lot 49. And I was told, oh, you really got to read Gravity's Rainbow. You know, it's a big book. You know, and I read it. I got through it. But I was just like, oof, no thanks. <laughs> Overrated. <laughs> and I felt kind of the same thing I felt about like Infinite Jest. You know, oh, it's a great, you know, David Foster Wallace. And you know, I've always enjoyed his journalism. I read some shorter work of his that I've liked. And I tried like reading that book a couple of times. I just couldn't get through it. And finally, I, you know, I just buckled down. I got through it. I got through all the footnotes. And this friend of mine, who's a big lover of the book, I was like, you know, I guess if you like reading like MOS DOS manuals from the 80s, um, <laughs> maybe you'd like it, but... <laughs> Not so much. Uh-huh. Ain't exactly Ulysses. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I grant you, maybe I'm just too dumb to get it. You know, that's I, always I, possible. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, my favorite version of Frankenstein, I mean, I love the Universal Monster one, but um, there's a play, and they, they show it at, at theaters every Halloween. It's uh, Cumberbatch, oh, yeah. I forget the other actor. And they reverse roles depending oh, yeah. which one they show. So one plays a doctor, one plays okay. uh, the monster. And uh, I think uh, that's really fantastic if, if you ever get, get to see that or interested in seeing Oh, I'll check that out. Well, I'm a big fan of Benedict Cumberpatch. I, he was yeah. so good in that, in that, uh, uh, that guy saw it, St. Aubrey's, those novels, the five books, uh, Melrose, uh, Patrick Melrose. Mm. It was, that was on Showtime. God, he was great. God, that guy's a good actor. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, can you imagine? What would it be like to be that talented? <laughs> this blows me away. What would that be yeah. like? Yeah. You if imagine? I ever interview him, that's what I'm going to ask him. What's it like to be this talented? What is that like? <laughs> I mean, do you like, I mean, do you like taste crackers differently? I mean, like, <laughs> gotta be something. I don't know. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. It's incredible. Yeah. I wonder if he thinks yeah, but he's you think it like some of these. Oh, he's probably super modest and is like, oh, uh-huh. golly, I don't know. You know <laughs> I don't know. It's boring like uh, that. But, right. you know, that, I look at people like that. I, I remember I saw this play once, um, Jerusalem. Uh, oh, what's that actor's name? He was in the, uh, oh God, my memory's just gone to the shit. He won the Academy Award for like some party played in some Steven Spielberg movie. He's actually from Wisconsin. He's an actor. He's worked in England for a long time. Oh God, what's that guy's name? Do you mind if I look it up? It's going to drive no, me no, crazy. No, no I, I, I would do this. Anyway, thing. I saw this play, um, and, um, he was so good. He, uh, the, uh, um, 
don't forget it. Anyway, but well, the takeaway, I'll think of the name later, but the takeaway was, oh my God, this guy's in a completely different business. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but it's something so radically different from anything I do. Um, that, uh, you know, you just, you just kind of have to tip the hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll have this. Go ahead. Tony, no, what? you want a Tony. God, it's a track. Oh, I see. For Boing Boing. And the other thing you want was for Jerusalem. Oh, okay. Oh, you know, this is the bad thing about getting old. You really, your your memory goes off a cliff for some things. Um, anyhow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. I, you know, you think I, I was so bummed. It is nice to have like going to make. Hmm. Yeah, to be sure. To be sure. Well, was that um, about Daniel Day-Lewis? Well, it's just such a bummer that he retired. Oh, he did. He he did before too. Yeah, like, he, then he came back. Yeah, but so. I think. Uh, yeah, did he? I don't know. It sounded like this time that he did. He really meant it. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is a big bummer because you know, man. Yeah, yeah. I remember he left for I a while and so. became became like a shoemaker, and then uh, then came back to acting. Or whatever the technical term is for shoemaker, a cobbler, I think. A uh, cobbler. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to be No, it sounds like he kind of means it. Hmm. He was so good in that movie that Paul Thomas Anderson. God, that was amazing. Uh, hmm. The filmmaking in that picture was just extraordinary. Phantom Thread. Wow. I think that oh, yeah, was yeah. movie of that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, just technically, you-, you know, you know, the period of it and, and the camera work and mm-hmm. the art direction. I mean, that was just a really, that's a, those are hard movies to make well. And he really, oof, he sure did. Have you um, ever wanted to... I was just say, have you ever wanted to make your own movie, a director or writer? I've written a few things, uh, and I try to get them made a few times and kind of hit the wall, you know, because I'm intrinsically a lazy person and have such low self-esteem. I, I quit and didn't follow through. Uh, you know, I guess what I have learned, I, I'm not, I would still like to direct a movie if I found the right material. But um, because uh, of my long experience of making movies at a very low price point, I'm only willing to suffer so much. <laughs> and uh, so I would, uh, it would, I would have to be, um, it would have to be the right opportunity with the right financing. Uh, uh, Mark Ryland, my God. And I oh, thought okay. about it without even looking at <laughs> Mark uh-huh. Rylance. All right. Mark Rylance. I would also mm-hmm. say, too, Mark Rylance, who is brilliant in, in all of the plays that I've seen him in, and it's been many over the years, uh, gave two of the greatest uh, award accepted speeches I've ever seen in my life. One, the first time when he won the Tony for Boing Boing, and then the second time when he won the Tony 
for Jerusalem. And I would encourage your viewers to go on YouTube and look that up. Genius. I will do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, you know, you know, it's just so, it's just so, it's just, you know, I'm enough of a kid at heart where I still am like corny enough to be just swept away by, you know, brilliant people. You know, mm-hmm. you just look at these actors and their and their work, and you're just like, "Golly, what would it be? <laughs> what would it be? be so amazing to be able to do that? It's just so cool! Oh my God, I can't even imagine." I, I think that's a good thing just to, to, to hang on to, though. Yeah, you enjoy things more, and uh, you know, I think you appreciate you know life more. Well, I, you know, I guess I would say as somebody who's, you know, made their living for 38 years off of, mm-hmm. you know, what they could generate in the world of show business, the older I've got, the more I appreciate how hard it is, you know, which makes mm-hmm. what they do all the more impressive. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like, it's like any kind of, I mean, you know, on a certain artistic level, you sort of have that awe and wonder, but then at a certain kind of like, pedantic craftsmanship level, you know, I, I would say, I would encourage most actors I know, you know, if you, if you really want to know how hard it is to make a movie, produce one. <laughs> it will, it will, it will change your relationship to, to your acting in one. Just produce uh-huh. one. And, and by yeah. the way, how you know you're a producer on your movie is you're the last one standing. You're the one that takes the Winnebago to empty the toilet before you return it. That's how you know you're a producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I produced uh, the last feature I made, um, and it was—I uh, mean, it's very low budget, you know, like twenty thousand dollars budget. But yeah, the uh, yeah. Uh, we we filmed the principal photography over a three day period, like twenty something pages a day, and it was it was very very draining. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was way more work than I, than I knew it would be a lot of work, but yeah, it was one of the most draining, draining experiences, but it was also very, uh, fulfilling. Totally. Totally. But you know, it's hard work, you know, mm-hmm. that's, it's money, you know, people, you know, the hours are long, the conditions can sometimes be very difficult. Um, you know, I'm on this TV show right now and there was a period of time where, you know, like we're on the. Yeah, I wasn't in these scenes, but, um, you know, the crew had to be working out in the desert, you know, dusty, hot, you know, you're remote from any kind of like amenities of any kind. Um, you know, and it's, it's a challenge, you know, it's really a challenge to just get through the day. Uh, mm-hmm. and on this, on this show, um, because of the nature of the ambition in, in filming it, uh, in the fall, when we started, we were very limited because uh, there was a lot of daylight exterior. We were limited on, on the usable light hours that we had. Mm-hmm. So they do what they call a French lunch, which is you don't stop for lunch. They just bring you your lunch in a box and you kind of eat okay. it whenever you can kind of figure that out. I mean, some people will get broken for lunch and be able to go somewhere and sit down. But for most everyone, uh, you got to kind of keep moving. And... Uh, you know, so there's just no break to it. You know, you just go, go, go. Uh, and I, I guess what I find is that people that don't know much about like making a, a television show or a, a movie, 
um, just how hard the crews work. I mean, people in the movie TV business, they work hard. They really do. Um, and I, I, I also, I also think about, you know, if you're, it's been, if it's an ambitious project, you know, where the, you're, you're trying to do a lot of things that are technically difficult. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of specialization that's required and that ends up requiring a lot of just bodies to execute, uh, the logistics mm-hmm. of, of these things. And so when you look at it, like a big TV show or a big movie, there's more people, it takes more people to make that than it does to make a car or an airplane. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. That's the yeah. level of complexity. And mm-hmm. people are yeah, I mean, if you look, they're just yeah. blown away. They realize that. Takes mm-hmm. more yeah, people if you look at, to make a If you see the credits on a lot of modern movies, like uh, they'll go on, you know, forever. And you, and you just see all this giant amount of people that, that went in, you know, technically to make it. And you, yeah. it is kind of mind boggling. More people than it takes to make a car, more people than it takes to make an airplane. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I always like, you know, kind of like sort of like, you know, when these people grouse about like, you know, creating tax incentives for, you know, show business. Well, what is it? That's just going to help a bunch of millionaire actors. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> right. you have no idea. You have uh-huh. no idea how much revenue that generates and how many working people that puts to work, you know, that can, you know, buy the hot dogs and hamburgers and the rain jackets and the shoes and the cars and the tires and all the stuff that they need, you know, it's such a great boost. Uh, But, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah, it's a local economy. It's it's the economy, you know, and it really does Mm. feed a lot of mouths. Mm Mm-hmm. And the yeah, I don't, I don't think people, working, you know, on the cruise, they don't, they don't get paid all that. I mean, they get paid a reasonable amount, but they're not making the big bucks, yeah. you know? And I, I think about like the moment that we're in right now and that people were bitching about, well, I mean, should you really be paying a, some guy that just puts boxes on a shelf, $15 an hour that, right. that you had politicians complaining about that. You don't think mm-hmm. these people are worth fifteen dollars an hour? Really? How do you feel about it today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's something that always bothers me. Like, uh, if oh, they just flip a burger or whatever. It's just like, uh, if you know, if, yeah. if you work a full time job anywhere, if you're home from, if you're away from home for forty hours a week, you should at least make enough that you can make you have it. My suggestion to those people. Is you do it for forty hours a week and then come talk right. to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, nobody bitching about the Walmart cashier making fifteen dollars an hour now. Mm-hmm. I don't hear anybody, anybody saying that she's overpaid, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Or that lone rest short order cook, you know, who's making food to go for people that you know can't always cook at home because they're working a full-time job doing something, you know, I mean, there's like, you know, there's still people working. Life still got to stay on. This guy at the phone company, he's still going to work, you know? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Et cetera, et cetera. And the people at the, you know, people at the grocery store and they're around all these people all day, you know? Yeah, they're showing up. They got to go to work. Mm-hmm. You know? Bus driver in downtown Boston, he's there, he's working. You know, yeah, yeah, I just saw a lot of them tested positive for for the virus um for the MBTA up in Boston. Yeah, I'm not A surprised. lot of the bus drivers. Yeah, I think it was 10 bus I'm drivers. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You know, you want to tell me he's not worth what he's getting paid? Come on. Mm. You know, but the, the, these, these things get lost. These things get lost. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 like I said, you know, it's a great time to really cal- recalibrate, you know, priorities and values. Uh, and uh, so we're sort of lucky to be in the time and space to be able to do that. Um, so you're a budding filmmaker. Have you, has this always been a feed within you? I mean, what's your uh, thing yeah. with that? Um, so yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was something I'd always be interested in. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, really have any connections or anything like that. And then, uh, so we made a short film last year, um, which I, uh, I'm like this. It's, it's weird to explain. It's a quote unquote documentary. It's a mockumentary about the loss of my belly mm-hmm. button. Oh, nice. So, so for that oh, one, okay. I'm, I'm the a- actor. Uh, it wasn't scripted oh, or anything. Great. I just uh, made the lines up, and uh, it's very. Oh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Like Spessadin, he's <laughs> often the actor, the director, the writer, the producer. <laughs> so That's it was great. it was directed oh, by my God. my friend Michael. Directed that one, Michael Epstein. And, oh, good. Uh, he, okay, good. That's good to have yeah. help that way. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a lot and so it was his idea because. I had this big surgery and, uh, it was really life threatening. And part of, part of it was I wouldn't have a belly button after it. And so he thought it would cheer me up. He's like, well, let's make a documentary about it. He's like, and then afterwards when we, we've done Q and A's, he's like, Neil was going through this terrible surgery. And instead of being like supportive, I was like, oh, well, let's make a, a documentary about it and make fun of it. So, but it actually, that definitely did help me quite, quite a bit getting through it. So I uh, asked yeah, so that from there, That's that was, great. uh, done really well it's one it's really strange for me because it's one both funniest at, at festivals and best documentary at festivals so i don't know if they think it's a real documentary or i don't know but but <laughs> but that's very <laughs> well listen i remember many 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 years ago a friend of mine's wife lovely girl maybe not the sharpest you know knife in the box but uh had to explain to her that that spinal tap was that was those were actors right acting uh-huh. you know so sometimes you know when you really do it well um, yeah. you know you, you get it over the top yeah so he liked being that and uh then he was doing a feature in uh in december and he he brought me out he's like you could well, one thing he said, you could do, you, you, you would do BTS footage. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I had no idea what BTS footage you met. So I had to, I had to Google that afterwards behind the scenes footage. So, yeah, that's uh, another thing that Fessenden yeah. does on all his movies. He loves a lot of that BTS. I don't know if we did that on Phoenix, Oregon. Maybe we did. We probably hmm. did. I can't remember. Yeah. Seems to be so ubiquitous that, on movies now. Although they don't, they haven't done it on the couple of the last couple of TV shows that I've been on. Hmm. They uh, they only do sort of sit down stuff with the principals and not so much behind yeah. the scenes. And so they had a small, very small role that they did. And he's like, "Will you mind playing this?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's cool." And so everyone really, I'm not trying to put myself. Everyone really laughed how I it's backwoods Bob. He's like this weird uh, guy out in the woods, and no one knew how I was going to play it or anything. And and so the other actress was like, "Do you want to read lines with us?" And I was like, "Okay, I've never read lines before." And so no one heard the voice or anything I was going to do and the mannerisms. And so I started and everyone just started cracking up. And so they slowly added more and more of this character into the movie. 
which which is good by me. I mean, it made me feel good. There, eventually, he's just like, just yeah. film Neil making stuff terrific. up. And we'll stick it in the movie. And then the second movie we did was more was actually um, both of us uh, came up with the idea together, and I was much more involved in the actual filmmaking of, of that one, which is also right. a mockumentary. Which I think right. I, I like I like that kind of idea. So right, that one is right. I, when yeah. I did pitch that to people the the uh, the last one we did um, I did say it's like Spital Tap but it's with horror movie people so we we were lucky enough to a uh, festival that I was friends with um, Mad Monster Party let us film there as a backdrop and the idea is it's two horror actors from a 1970 movie who both take credit for playing mm-hmm. a mass killer which is really inspired by uh, there's a lot of that that's happened. And and then they're at a festival for the first time together in 30 years, and we got to film in the festival as with what the I mean the convention with the backdrop, and he even let me do a fake panel with them. It's uh, I I think it's very <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, that's great! I love it. You know what? Make films, not war. That's great. Right. That is great. Oh my god! So funny. It's very um, funny. What else? Eddie, do you have any other questions I can answer? Well, I want to let people know, and I'll have this on the website too, so they can click on it. Uh, to to watch Phoenix, yeah. Oregon, um, you can either go to oh, the, the festival. Yeah. You can do the festival on April 11th, which is very cool. Or if you just want to watch uh, Phoenix, Oregon, right now, you go to phoenixoregonmovie.com, and it's pretty cool. You buy like a basically you're buying like a movie ticket, and you get to watch it at home. That would be great. I, we appreciate any uh, any of our viewers. They are the lifeblood of what we do. That's for sure. I uh, really appreciate it. So po- no, go on. Sorry. Yeah, for go sure. On. I want to ask you a quick question. So you're okay. a podcaster. Yeah. Uh, what what podcast? You don't have to in any particular order, but which one do you enjoy? Oh, that's interesting. I like um, what is it called with uh. Oh my god! Uh, um, oh, WTF with Mark Marin. I think he's a good interviewer. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I like. like his, I watched his stand up uh, on Netflix. It was pretty good. Yeah. What else? So I like his style. It's just it's more of just a conversation. I like that. Um, you know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I know that sounds terrible since I do the podcast, but I do like right. that. Well, there's a good um, showbiz one. Ileana Douglas does a nice one. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I saw that recently on Facebook. I would like to check that out because I always like that. Yeah, I've listened to several of those. She's so knowledgeable. Well, she's a super crazy talented actor, uh, but still very knowledgeable in uh, about the cinema and movies and television. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a good one for people who might be out there, you know. Yeah, I would I listen. Yeah, I'm glad people do. Uh, I, I do oh, it's a great frontier. It's a great new phenomenon of this whole digital age. Yeah. yeah when I start, well, I'll tell people the first, about your- Well, the first one I did was 2005, and I don't think a podcast was even a term then. And But it is weird how much it's changed right. over the years. I don't years. think it was. I remember, no, and everybody at the time, well, not everybody, there was a lot of people at the time that would be like, oh, is this on real radio? And I'd be like, no, and like, oh, I have no interest. But that's, uh, years later, it's so different because now, like, most people wouldn't rest- necessarily be interested in being interviewed, like, on a local radio show. 
unless it was like to promote mm-hmm. something yeah. in that in that in that city or something. And whereas a podcast, sure. it's you know not just in, in the whole world, but it's oh yeah, the whole world's international. So it's really weird how much that's changed and how many um people within like the industry do podcasts like a lot of professional wrestlers do podcasts about wrestling a lot of actors do do podcasts you people like conan o'brien do podcasts so it's really uh it's really sure. uh, uh interesting to see I how that shepherd does a successful pro- podcast he's an actor oh, yeah. a successful podcast now, joe rogan yeah. i'm sure i think of, it's just one of the most popular sure yeah I've, I've heard some of his podcasts uh yeah a lot of them out oh, yeah. there yeah, yeah, but they're fun to do. It's led to a lot of cool experiences for me. So I've uh, hosted panels I, uh, at conventions. I, I, listen to, uh, I listen to the BBC uh, in our time. They do a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's really okay. good. Uh, I listen I rec- to the history of literature. That's a good podcast. Yeah, I recently cut my it's- thumb. And I had to go to the ER, which I didn't. It's not a. I really didn't want to go, but it was cut very bad. Uh, and my doctor yeah. at the ER does a medical podcast, and I was just like, I was like, wow, it's everyone really does a podcast. But it was uh, it was really interesting, and uh, I just started talking to him about podcasts for some reason while he was. Um, well, I don't. To get. I'm I I don't do uh, a podcast, although I uh-huh. appear on a. Oh, you know, that's not a good showbiz one. Is Brian Koppelman does a good okay. podcast. He's the co-creator of uh, Billions, among other mm-hmm. many other fabulous shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting one for people who are interested in, in things related to the entertainment. Yeah, Gilbert Gottfried does one, and he, he'll have some interesting guests on. Um, a lot of like people from I can imagine. Movie. So, uh, so I kind of like to, to listen to that, if you, depending on you know, who's on. Like he had Dick Miller on which I th- before he passed away, which oh, I thought cool. was really cool. Oh, nice. Well, my favorite podcast, hardly podcast anymore, this guy at Stanford, uh, uh, Entitled Opinions. Um, but he has, he's been dark for, I think, about a year. And, uh, you know, he's like a, you know, he gets a spectrum of stuff, but it's more of, uh, actually, it's hard to, it, it's hard to even encompass what he covers. It's so vast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on one path, you know, because he's a Dante scholar, you know, you might be talking about Italian literature and then on another podcast, you know, psychedelic music of the 60s mm-hmm. or, you know, you might have like a philosopher like Peter Sloterdijk and you're talking about Friedrich Nietzsche, it's, you know, it covers a big spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what's great about podcasting is you have all these niche interests of subjects you wouldn't ordinarily find, which I really appreciate, you know, because... In a way, you know, the entertainment business is going to have a voice. Sports certainly is going to have a voice. But, you know, where are you going to go to, like, listen to a, a podcast on, you know, the Decamerons? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You know, nowhere. Uh-huh. But now you can. Yeah. Or, you know, some, like, form of, you know, you know, you know what the Welsh language, and you know, you, you now you can get a podcast in Welsh. You know, all these mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't have been able to access. Yeah, I also think when we talked about the uh, TV series, I think a lot of a lot of those wouldn't have been made like you know thirty years ago because you only had so many networks, and you know they probably wouldn't put like a really kind of that would seem like a niche yeah. like audience. Well, I, and now I you think can make also stuff that. Bo- 
part of this too, uh, which is the great thing about uh, diversification, is that you have more decision makers realizing there's going to be an audience for these other things that, you know, in the past we had a small clique of people who all sort of looked the same and sounded the same and all kind of went to the same schools. You know, they became the tastemakers and the, and the lane for that taste was fairly narrow. And so I think as diversity has developed, um, uh, the range of things that you're going to encounter has become much richer and more, more broad. So which I'm so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and on a lighter note, also a lot of, a lot of good food when the restaurants uh, reopen a lot of, uh, like up in Boston, there's a lot of diverse food. So yeah, it's good to, it's good to have diversity and, uh, and try new things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen to that. Um, well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, Thanks I've had a great time. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And spread yeah. the word, uh, Phoenix, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little movie that could. Yeah, I loved it. It's definitely a movie I liked. And uh, I had Diedrich on. I had uh, Jesse Borrego on. And oh. I, had, I had you yourself on. So it's been, uh, I've been really, uh, really liked the movie. And it's fun to talk about something that you like and then try to get other people to uh, to check it out. Yeah. Uh, well, Jesse's just, you know, such a remarkable person anyway. But yeah. here's a little known fact about Diedrich Bader. Mm-hmm. He is a, he plays on the master level of the French game Bulls. Oh, really? <laughs> I did similar not know to Bocce. Most people uh-huh. don't know Bocce, but he, is, he may be considered, uh, he may have sensei status as a Bulls player. Hmm. So there's that. All right. Well, if he, if he returns, I will bring that up. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you take care. Great you as well. with you. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay. Have a good rest of the day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad I got everything I need and I don't pay And I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just much for me I was doing fine when I was still a kid swapping baseball cards and playing ball then came my school classes that I couldn't understand and girls who wouldn't notice me at all but I never asked to grow up so please don't make But I say not now No, not right now When they say I need to get a life I just agree with them But I don't know how No, I don't know how
touch me 